Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Less sticky? That doesn't make any sense, but it's a fun, you know, reference. Swung on, lines the deep left field. It is gone! It went! This is the official Covering the Corner podcast, episode 182. I'm your host, Matt Lyons, and on this week's episode, I have some meatballs for you, talk about some stuff that happened in Cleveland baseball over the last week, talk about the Guardians trade deadline deals, who they acquired, who they lost, and just generally what they did um, at Friday's deadline. Talk about Terry Francona stepping down or back for the remainder of the season, potentially being back next year, but maybe being, um, this is the end of his managing tenure, we'll see. Talk about DeMarlo Hale taking over for him. Um, and we'll talk about expectations for the rest of 2021 and, and just why in the world would we still watch this team. I think there's plenty of reasons. Um, we'll talk about that. Um, but joining me for a lot more, another some Merritt Rolfing. Merritt, how you doing? It's crazy, huh? 182 episodes. It's like you blink and you almost miss it, huh? Huh, Matt? and you're almost at 182. I think <laughs> we're actually 183 and I messed that up. Oh, damn it. <laughs> I don't that know. Close. I be, but yeah, close enough. It's 180-something. We're fine. So how you been, Merritt? A lot of baseball happened. A lot of weird stuff. It's been a busy weekend, you know, breaking phones, cruising. You, know <laughs> you know how it is for everyone everywhere breaking their phone over the weekend and driving around in a Vespa and yelling that the Mets should win a game and they don't. And it's a real great experience. But yeah, fantastic. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you actually got to go to Carlos Carrasco's first Mets game, which is kind of neat, I think. did. I didn't even realize it was happening until like like that day. (laughs) Until the fourth inning. I'm like, wait, who is that? I was like, wait a minute. Carlos Carrasco? That's that's that Carlos Carrasco? Oh, I had forgotten about him. Yeah. From our seats, which weren't great, um, he looked fine. Yeah, he was effective. I think he gave up a home run to the actually named Jonathan India, which I can't believe that guy exists, but he does. And then other than that, he was very effective. Um that one run, four innings, four strikeouts. Held the mighty Reds to just the one score before departing in the fourth. And then the I got to watch the bullpen parade out and be just utterly savaged by Mets fans. Boy, were they mean to them. That was great. <laughs> yeah, I'm, is, is it meaner over there in, in Mets land compared to... I know you usually go to Chicago game or like D.C. or that kind of thing. but I, mean, I would say they're... They're more into it. This was also the uh, the first time since whenever the like, in like a decade that they wore black jerseys. Uh, it was also Francisco Lindor T shirt night, so you could get so everyone who, the first twelve thousand fans got a triple XL uh, Francisco Lindor shirt when um, he wasn't playing and he was injured. He was not playing. He was in fact injured, but yeah. Um, so everyone was very excited. Um, oh, those jerseys are so good. I mean, not the I, Lindor ones, but. I found Mets fans to be a bit nicer than Yankee fans. I think it's because they're so down, naturally downtrodden. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. But they, they, they you know, uh, the people around us were all very into the game and excited and having a great time. So yeah, you know, it's 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 nice going to a different stadium too because you see 
you see different names on the backs of jerseys, obviously, in, in the stands. Like, obviously, it's cool to see, like, DeGrom and stuff. But also, everyone broke out their old black jerseys. So, there's lots of, like, Piazza and, and Wright and things like that. I was like, oh, dang, that's kind of cool. Uh, Castillo, you know, that sort of thing. Who's the – there's a pitcher I think of when I think of the black jerseys. I can't think of his name right now. Is it um, the, the former twin also, I assume? Yep. Um, <laughs> that's the one. I don't know why I think of yeah, him. Why can't I remember his name now? Yeah, wonderful changeup. Uh, won several Cy Youngs. He was absolutely dominant. This is oh, going to eat me alive up. until I remember this. <laughs> okay, pitcher. Or wait, twins, Mets, pitcher. Uh, <laughs> We're both going about this in very different ways. I'm literally on baseball <laughs> oh, reference. Man, it gave me Jose Barrios. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Johan Santana. There we Johan go. Johan Santana. Okay, yes. Johan Santana. Well, I mean, I, I think you might have wanted to say, no, I, I don't think Pedro ever wore the black jersey when he was there, no. But uh, you know what is completely related to that thing you just said, Merritt? What's that? Eating. I mentioned eating a minute ago. Meatballs. Meatballs, Merrick. They're related because that's the thing we talk about. And when there's baseball and not the Mets. Um, talk about Cleveland baseball. Things that happened over last week. Um, of course, Cleveland acquired Miles Straw. Um, so mine is related to him just because something fun happened. We'll talk about more about the actual yeah, acquisition in a minute here. But um, my thing is just the fact that at Straw, he's he has his own weird set of skills. It's the fact that he, he swings a lot. He makes a lot of contact. Still manages to strike out and not walk a ton, which is confusing considering he doesn't he also doesn't whiff and he doesn't chase but he still does not walk a lot uh, he strikes out like 20 percent of the time the other thing he doesn't do is hit the ball hard he hits it a lot he hits it all over he'll go to every field pretty consistently but on sunday he barreled a ball for the first time um since june 23rd <laughs> he has eight barrels in his entire two-year career and this one he hit off jimmy lambert who again sounds like a made-up name not a real person um, 103.9 mile per hour home run launched 29 degrees that was, um, and he also hit another one, 100.4 mile per hour on Sunday, Saturday with Cleveland. So it was his first back-to-back games of hitting a ball 100 mile per hour. I think this proves um, definitively that Ty Van Berkelo has is a good coach and fixed his swing and he's better now because uh, mm-hmm. TVB is very real and very great and the best hitting coach ever. But he probably saw him video and was like, "Let's get that guy immediately. He'll be a star under my expert tutelage." <laughs> my tutelage. Meanwhile, Eric Haas went somewhere else and is now a superstar again. So well, he just never had time. He was bad. He never got things, under so. the old, the old molding yeah, you know fingers I, I, of Ty Van Berkeley. Yeah, I think he was put off by uh, by Van Berkeley's gorgeous facial hair. He's like, is that real? Or that's a, is that a sticker you put on because you're not actually a real man? No, not at all. I'm real and everything. I'm an actual person. Yeah, but but mine is just that Miles Straw barreled a ball, which is cool because he doesn't do that. It's not very many times you see this year that, that players don't barrel balls as much anymore, but that's Miles Straw. He's a weird... Almost Ichiro-esque, but we always hear about Ichiro could have just hit 40 home runs if he really wanted to. But I think he hit the ball probably pretty hard just all over the field. And Miles Straw doesn't quite do that, but he did it on Sunday and Saturday. And that's what we got. That's a little poll ratings. Yeah, look at this. uh, The MLB average for poll percentage is 28.8 for those listening. Miles Straw is at 16.4% of batted balls are polled by him, which is... Interesting. That's a fun little twist. Little yeah, twist if you haven't yet, he is he is very much a player that you'd be interested in looking at his stuff. He's so weird and unique. I, w- I was happy the second they got him and I looked at his, like even his baseball savant page at the top, his percentiles are just so bizarre because everything's like 1%, 2%, and then you get like whiff and chase, and he's like one of the best. So he's just such a weird, unique player, and it's fun to see him hitting. Fun, weird, raw materials. Maybe he'll turn into something with a name like Miles Straw. How can he not? Uh, so what's yours this week, Mary? Well, you know what, Matt? Over the last week, uh, we saw something happen twice. It's only happened four times prior to that what, what, that thing in Major League history. And, and Cleveland did it twice. You know what that was? 
Emmanuel Class A threw his slider more than his cutter, not once, but twice in the last week. That's happened four times ever in the, his, in the history of his career, or ever in the history of baseball by, 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 by that stretch, because he only has two years, technically, but still. On the Emmanuel Class A scale of throwing a slider before your cutter, it's the second time ever, yeah. Um, no, I thought that was very interesting, to, just because, I mean, obviously, he's very hard to hit if he were just to throw only his cutter, because it goes a billion miles an hour and moves a bunch and stuff, but he also had a not great... Uh, July, something like a 409 year. He gave up like six runs in his 11 innings pitch or something like that. Like, just again, the numbers are not what you want out of a closer. Um, or really any pitcher when you really think about it. Still has a, what, a 181 ERA on the year. You know, I'm striking out more guys than he's than, than innings pitched and still is very good. It's just he's been, you know, some might worry he's getting a bit overused because it turns out that vaunted bullpen we were so excited about coming into the year is a bit um, spottier. Less vaunted. One of them yeah. because... Yeah, we, we, yeah. We're, we're reducing the vaunt level a bit to something a bit, you know, less sticky. That doesn't make any sense, but it's a fun, you know, reference to what we all think is going on here. Yeah, I mean, at least with Karen check, I don't think it's... Class A's problem is just he's never been deceptive. But the slider, like, if that's a thing, then hell yeah. I agree. You know, I mean, it again, he throws it with 92, 93 sometimes. Like, he throws it really hard. And it's got movement, and it's on the same plane and everything as his cutter. So you have to gear up for the cutter anyway. And it's already moving. If you see a pitch coming at you that's starting to slide away from you, you're going to think, well, obviously it's just the cutter, and then it is not, and you're just whiffing. So uh, 41% whiff percentage, I think, on his, on his slider so far. Uh, pretty good. So, yeah, I just thought it was interesting. He's kind of evolving his approach, and that's not a bad thing. Remember, I remember I wrote a couple of years ago about um, Andrew Miller and how he was basically a perfect 50-50 pitcher, and how you, you just didn't know whether it was going to be a, a slider or his fastball. Which is just vicious because he could throw them at any, both of them at any count at any time. So, um, Class A getting getting closer to that more, uh, maybe not a 50 50, but a 60 40 instead of like a 75 25 or something like that. Yeah. And that's something too that, um, like Andre not talked a lot about is that he needed to use the slider more. And I feel like if Andre's talking about it, he's hearing it from somebody, um, pretty close to the team. So, I, I think it's one of those things that sort of trickled down to him. And now he's doing it, like one of the coaches told him he needs to use the slider more because. I mean, clearly his cutter is not deceiving anybody. I like what you said that if if you see it coming without the slider as a threat, you know you're just going to swing at a cutter and hit a cutter. But yeah, 100 miles an hour is hard to hit. But I mean, if you, if it's all you're seeing, then eventually you're going to gear up for it. These guys are very good at their game, so having that offset, even having it in the back of the heads of guys, right? Throw it. I don't need him to throw it 65 percent of the time. But, you know, throw it four times in appearance, right? Like even even that, that's that's not so many. So. Yeah, just I think make them think about it. That's really all you got to do. Yeah, exactly. Especially when yeah. you're throwing 100, as long as they, they have that split second, that split like tenth of a second where they have to think, is this a slider or a cutter, then you're going to win if you're throwing 100. So Literally any indecision, though. Like, I, there's a reason why um, it, it just seemed unfair when, what's his name, uh, Aroldis Chapman added another pitch. Like, come on, man. Like you throw And Jacob deGrom every single year, throwing harder and harder with like four pitches. So Throwing less pitches. Sometimes. Like, actually, you know what I'm going to throw. I've decided I'm only fastball slider, but I'm going to do it forever. And like, all right, man. <laughs> You do you, whatever you're going to do there. Good luck, bud. So, yeah, that's my that's my meatball. A big old Emmanuel Class A ball. And I forgot to mention, I had a, a good joke about mine, that his home run, or Miles Straw's home run, was a meatball because it was it was an awful cement mixer of a fastball over the middle of the plate. And it see, was a meatball. And I blew see, it, Barry. There we go. Had it. We had a meatball that was a meatball. In Speaking of meatballs, that's it. Now I'm only going to talk about meatball pitches for the rest of the, 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 the meatball era. How about some meatball trades, Merritt? Um, mm, right down the middle, baby. <laughs> had a bunch this week uh, for Cleveland. I guess for everybody, it was 
Um, just, just to go down the list, Miles Straw, of course, they acquired him. He was a meatball for Phil, Phil Maton and Yiner Diaz. Connor Pilkington they got for Cesar Hernandez. Uh, the legend himself, Pablo Sandoval, and a pile of cash for Eddie Rosario. And then DJ Johnson and Jordan Luplo were sent to the Rays for Peyton Battenfield. I guess we'll we'll get into specifics, but just overall, like, what is your, uh, how do you feel about the I feel like they were busy, but not exactly big, if that makes sense. Like, they said they were going to be busy heading into it, and they were, quote-unquote, busy, but none of these are actually giant moves in either direction. No, I mean, they made the moves I wanted them to make, and that's not, I mean, obviously. You wanted to trade our boy Phil, our tomato man? You wanted I mean, him. all right, so that's not what I wanted, if I'm being honest with you. No, I didn't want that at all. Uh, but it was, it was more the, you know, trading... Um, Rosario trading or Hernandez, uh, those were not players that I had any. I mean, I enjoyed watching Cesar Hernandez last year, and I I found him to be a very a, a nice uh, second baseman to watch. But I mean, if as they've more firmly and firmly committed to the rebuild this this whole year, uh, he has no role in this team at all. I, I think him being on the White Sox makes sense. That's a, that's a perfect kind of team for someone like him. Um, just a, a good veteran guy who can you know lengthen the lineup out and that sort of thing. So it was a smart trade by the White Sox, but. And being able to get something for him too, I think, was also a valuable move. And the Pilkington, Pilkington kid could be good. I've, I've read things about him being, anything back, you know, back end um, starter to a bad relief pitcher to who knows, who knows what the hell. I saw Lance Lynn comparison somewhere in there. It's, yeah, it's I saw that in there too. Whatever. So, so I'll take it. Who cares? Like, I mean, honestly, like, like giving more raw materials to the Cleveland development um, program to see what they can do. He's a lefty, so cool. Um, and I, so I, I can say is a lefty. He's, he's great. You know, he's, <laughs> you know, I mean, listen, one of the eventually he's going to work on, right? Six, three, two thirty. That's me after a couple of Thanksgivings. So he's basically, Connor Pilsen is basically me. Uh, is what I'm saying to you. Uh, no, like I said, those two deals in particular, um, I'm very happy about just because they got something. It's a bummer that one of the, one of the getting of something was nothing with Eddie Rosario, but him being hurt, but you aren't going to do anything with that anyway. So I think the second part of that is freeing up space. Uh, we've been talking, I think, all year now about the log jam of mediocrity in the outfield and just giving other guys a chance. Eddie Rosario wasn't doing anything even when he was healthy. Um, same thing with Hernandez to a degree, right? The log jam of, of, of middle infielders, like giving one of these guys a chance, one of the young guys a chance as, as they're doing now with who they call up. Miller, maybe? No. Yeah, anyway. they, they bought probably Bradley back. And Owen Miller is up now playing. Oh, no, yeah, games. okay, yeah. Um, giving these young guys a chance to see what works because, like, even even half a year, like, I think it's a good chance to see if there's a, a real opportunity for a decent, solid player. Because the core is really, I think, quickly taking taking shape as far as who like the who's going to drive the offense over the next several years. I mean, I'm, I'm jumping to conclusions here with Jose Ramirez not going anywhere. But you know, I mean, obviously with him, um, Bradley if he's healthy, or if he can keep this going, uh, Reyes obviously. He's got to find pieces to put around him now, and I think giving Owen Miller more more play is a smart move. I think giving any of these young guys more play is a smart move because, yeah, I mean the, the older guys are the older guys are, are, are not doing anything. Um, aside from that, um, I like Jordan Luplo, which is sad. I was I, I've written like nine hundred articles about him. <laughs> yeah, that, that was like, the, the hardest one for me too. Is the Luplo because like he? I mean, listen, I, maybe it's because of like a what do you call it? What was that called? Like a thing where you fall in love with your captor. Oh, Stockholm, Stockholm syndrome. syndrome. Yeah. Yes, I think maybe maybe as Cleveland fans are all we've got a bit of Stockholm syndrome when it comes to loving platoon bats. Yeah. But I mean, <laughs> well, this was a really good platoon. Bat. This is a really good captor we have. Listen, you know, like having him, I'm him, and then another, uh, you know, one other guy. Like you could turn, you could suddenly you're you're piecing together a, a, an all star, 
And I just like the, the 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 growth he was showing in terms of being able to hit opposite hand pitching. Uh, and I dread the fact that he's now going to the Rays and he's going. Who we're going to fix it, and then he's going to be. They're just going to finish. It's going to suck. Goddamn! But like I he's hurt Peyton stuff like field. Yeah. But again, um, log like. I don't. I don't know how much longer he was gonna. I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I want to see if it gets more younger guys' chances. I guess, although right, you know, exactly. I don't know how many guys they have that warrant a chance. But I mean, they got Miles Straw back, and he's he's one of them at least. And I don't know. I, I guess I get it just to like you said, free up space. But the the Luplo one is the one I like the the least. Yeah, hundred percent. Because they didn't get much back. Like Peyton Battenfield, he's another pitcher. Sure, why not? I guess at this point, I'm not going to doubt any Cleveland pitcher stuff. But like Phil, Mayton, or a pitcher. Also coming out of the Rays system, I mean, if if there's like, like that, it, it, it's not like he's been wallowing in, in, in some garbage pit or something like that. So there's that at least. But like, I feel like that. I hate to use the phrase rearranging de- the chairs and the, the deck chairs in the Titanic with this. That's kind of what that but was, like, yeah. like getting rid of Luplo <laughs> and then bringing in Miles Straw. It's like, what do we do with this? Like, we, we got a, a guy who's hurt, but you know, he looks like he's an evolving bat for a guy who has no bat. Uh, what are we doing here? So I don't know. He does at least. I mean, he he fixes Miles Straw fixes some kind of hole at least. It's like he can be a leadoff guy because he he walks enough and he gets enough on base. I think he's like three forty on base. So I think that's enough for what they've had. And he's a starting center fielder at least for a couple of years, which they haven't had um, in a long time because he's competent in center field. He doesn't blow through walls like Bradley Zimmer does. He's not going to do that. They basically traded like the the Phil Mayton deal at first. That that one sucked too because I like Phil Mayton so much, but. It's the same kind of thing. They traded these guys who have these peripherals that point to them being really good at something. They're not quite there. They're okay with it. I think Mayton was getting better, and he's going to be really good for the Astros. But that, that was a very even swap, I think. And I think they need the wild card in the outfield more than they need the wild card in reliever. And I also think, I mean, relievers come and go so often that I'm not I'm not too heartbroken. Phil Mayton was just cool because we could see the, the measurements and what could potentially happen. But um, he was a good tomato strong. boy, you know? Yeah, like, we were like, oh, that's great. Yeah, come on. <laughs> but with Straw, if you fix him and you do get him, and you if you can identify something to make him, I mean, barrel the ball more, and that's literally all he has to do to become an elite hitter is barrel the ball once in a while because he can obviously um, identify pitches. He swings. I wrote about that he swings and misses a lot over the center of the plate, which is kind of weird. Although I mean, his home run was there and he hit that. But um, if they can see something in his swing, they can fix. Maybe even if they can't, I mean, they have a starting center fielder who's going to be competent enough there and get on base to at least warrant a roster spot, which is. Um, unless you're talking like two or three years down the road, it's not something they really have in center field because at this point I don't see Bradley Zimmer doing a whole lot and he's just put him in right field if you need to, because there's nobody else out there right now with, with Josh Miller down until at least next year. So um, I get that trade. I, I didn't at all understand the people who were upset about Cesar Hernandez and Eddie Rosario as if that was some kind of like salary dump that the cheap Dolans are doing. Like this is what was going to happen. This... They were making like $9 million combined yeah. anyway. Like, <laughs> it, I, I don't know. Like even they if they pay him, signing. what's the difference? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they were cheap signings to begin with. Like, like the, the, the cheapness was in the getting them, not in the, not in the losing them, I think. So. Yeah. That, that's always been my, like, I'm not mad at the trade deadline. I'm mad what they did before the season <laughs> to, to be yes, in this position yeah. where there was nothing there's no way they could win at the trade deadline so i'm not really i guess i'm neutral about what they did it's not exciting it's not it's not terrible um I, i'm just still mad they didn't do anything in the offseason to set themselves up better now because i think now they're in a position where it doesn't really matter what they do um we talked about leading up to the trade deadline they can't really buy in there's no reason to do that because they're not like one player away and they can't sell because Unless you're trading Jose Ramirez, there's nobody to sell. As we found that Cesar Hernandez and especially Eddie Rosario have essentially no trade value in, in what they dumped for him. But 
but yeah, the Luplo deal is just weird. Phil Maton, I think at least makes sense, but. Um, the more I look at uh, Straw's peripherals, well, the more I'm thinking about it. Well, this is basically just a young Michael Brantley. And, <laughs> and, and, and there you go, man. I've tricked myself. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to Stockholm Syndrome yourself now about he Michael Brantley? He doesn't strike out very much. Uh, he doesn't swing and miss very much. Makes he still strikes con- out enough, though, which is weird. Like, he's not like an elite. He's not like Nick Madrigal. It's weird how yeah, much he strikes yeah, out. Yeah, that's true. I mean, his, it's, it's weird. He doesn't whiff, but he strikes out. So it's yes, it's the weirdest thing. <laughs> I don't you, you understand are, it. You are a trickster, Miles Straw. <laughs> I, I, will, I, I will think on you for some time. Hmm. <laughs> I think we're going to see a lot of called third strikes, which is going to be infuriating. No. I would assume that's the only way he's getting struck out is because he's not swinging and missing. Maybe he just he just dumb and he can't figure out how people are pitching to him. That's very mean of me to say, but you know, he just and he's also tripped. super fast, which is fun, and it's a skill that he's going to lead in. If you can't get a guy who's good at multiple things, at least get speed, and that's what that's another overall thing that Cleveland seems to be doing. Which I don't know if that's conscious or just the guys they happen to get, but like Straw Rosario, um, I mean, they still have Bradley Zimmer, Owen Miller's pretty fast. So they have all these fast guys, and they were. They still don't swipe a ton of bases, but I don't know if there's something that they're they're trying to undercut everybody else. Uh, maybe it's just getting under the everybody else wants these big power hitters and they're going for speedy guys who can just hit all over the field or something. But um, I, I think it, I mean, it, boy, that's idiotic. But maybe it's an idea. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, at this point, <laughs> they've tried the other way and it hasn't worked. So yeah, well, let's try. Why this. not? <laughs> guys, we we want guys that can't get on base but can run when they get on base. This is let's get well-rounded players. Shut up and get out of here. <laughs> We're <laughs> get me a platoon for... now. <laughs> Can you find me a platoon immediately? <laughs> How many barrels does this guy have? Ten? Get him out of here. I don't need that's, him. That's too many. I want I want no more than eight. So, so anyway, yeah. <laughs> so there you go. That's my that's my takeaway. He's gonna. I mean, if, now if he were twenty three, I'd be actually I'd actually feel good about saying that. But he's twenty six yeah. already. So yeah, it's, it's like well, little, almost twenty seven. Basically, you just got Drew Stubbs without the power. Is what it's what we. Oh, that's what it is, isn't it? And I love <laughs> yeah. Drew Stubbs because he had the power potential. I literally own one Cleveland jersey, and it's a Drew Stubbs one. Granted, it's my wife's last name, but still. <laughs> Good jersey. I was so excited about your stuff. I forgot about that. We all were, buddy. Yeah, because I mean, he that's, was center fielder. They were trying. Yeah. We were, we were, I mean, that's basically Bradley Zimmer too. Like he's the exact yeah. same kind of player. Yeah, he's Bradley Zimmer without power. I guess uh, Zimmer what, hits dingers. So I don't know. I, I saw him do it once recently. So there you go. Is this? It, would one call this a successful trade deadline? I think so because they didn't trade uh, Jose Ramirez. Did they set themselves up for success? I don't know. I mean, I think that, that oh, they were already going to be where they were anyway. I guess it's a weird churn. I think that's kind of just what you have to do. You just kind of continue to churn the roster and see if any of these hit, right? Like if Peyton Batten does any good, great. If DJ Johnson wasn't working out, move on. Phil Mayton, they could maybe see if Miles Straw was something. Whatever, you know. So just got to keep, keep on keep on pulling lottery tickets, I suppose. it's Hey, man, it's, it's, it's the way of the, of the small market team. Yeah, the, the trade line itself wasn't a win or loss, but it's just it's kind of where they are. Things happen, and that, you know what? That's at the end of the day, that's kind of exciting. As long as, long as they're not just making random stupid deals like uh, Jerry Depoto out there in, in yeah in Seattle. Yeah, what's that? That, that theirs is a little weirder, especially because they're not like Cleveland, where they're they have no shot. They're almost no shot at the playoffs. So the Mariners like right in it, and they just oh yeah, they pissed everyone off too. They, yeah, they traded Graveman and all that stuff. That's right. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, before we move on to this, and maybe you haven't thought about this, and I haven't either. It just popped in my head. Do you see any obvious? path in, in in the way they manage this trade deadline beyond getting rid of Eddie Rosario and Cesar Hernandez and giving some young guys a chance. You mean as, as far as like what their vision was for what, what was they the goal? Doing? Yeah. What were they trying to accomplish with this trade deadline and did they accomplish that? I think, I, I think we talked about this last week or the week before. I think they were doing the raise thing where you just take a trade where you're getting a win, even if it's small. 
Like, because I think Miles Straw, he's a slight win over Phil yeah. Mayton and Yanni Yeah, he's or more Yanni valuable Diaz. than that. Yeah. yeah, I think Cesar Hernandez, given he's only a year, and then an option, Connor Pilkington's probably better. Eddie Rosario is basically nothing at this point, so you got some money for him, sure. Um, and then like I guess they must see that, knows. yeah, Battenfield is is better than Luplo and Johnson, but I don't good see... Good numbers in the, in the minors, that's something at least, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's just that and clearing out roster space is basically what it was. They, they did what they could. They got what they could by clearing out roster space without damaging their core, which is basically at this point Ramirez and Reyes in the pitching. So I will um, say that, I guess it's a uh, win in that sense, but that's about it. Battenfield, he's got 12 starts in the minors. This is his first year as a, well, sort of, he played in the low A in that 2019. He's got 12 walks. That's pretty good. He does have he has even up seven home runs, which isn't great, but in twelve in twelve games, that's so bad. So I mean he definitely profiles like a Cleveland pitcher, you know. Not he doesn't he doesn't walk people and at this point he's left handed, so I'm happy. And he strikes out a lot too, yeah. So yeah, he gets a lot of people like strike, so, hey, maybe, maybe he's something. I don't know. Maybe, maybe maybe they caught the maybe the I mean, it's not like the, the White Sox are known for being deft traders. They traded Fernando Tatis Jr. for James Shields, didn't, they? <laughs> yeah, the didn't, that, didn't that happen? Oh yeah, you're you're gonna win most trades with the White Sox. I think that's that, that's a team you want to deal with because they're in your division. So um, maybe there's something there. And as we've seen this year, they still need more pitching. You never have enough, even when you think you have enough. Although I mean, it's rounding the corner now because Eli Morgan's looked really good for a couple starts. Yeah, I mean he's like three years away or two years away or something like that. It's, it's, um, that I mean maybe next year. I don't know. He's in he's in Double A now, so. You can switch to AAA next year. He'll have a chance if someone gets hurt. So, yeah, that's fine. Now, next year uh, or the year after, whenever Battenfield does come up, there's, a, a, I think, a smaller chance than before he was acquired that, that Terry Francona will be managing in Cleveland. He announced on Thursday stepping back as manager for the remainder of the season. Not stepping – I guess he called it stepping down, but it, it's stepping back. As, and Darmalo Hale is going to take over. Like last year that Sandy Alomar Jr. did this year, it's it's Darmalo Hale taking over because he's the bench coach. Terry Francona, he's getting like his hip replaced. He's getting a rod in his foot. Uh, the, the guy you could tell when every time he came out uh, with his boot and he just hobbled out there, like, he was not right. And he said in the conference that he was at this point, his health was like taking away from how well he could manage and he didn't feel like he's doing a good enough job. And this is just a guy who he's, he has a year left on his contract. I, I guarantee after that, he's not going to manage. But I think the thing now is if he comes back next year and manages, which um, I mean, it sucks. I've liked part of Tito managing. I, I think he's good. He's it, an overall, what do you call that? Good an man overall manager. Positive. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He manages the players, even if his decisions aren't always the best. But um, I think at some point they just kind of have to decide like this isn't good for the team. I think they're they've kind of almost lucky that this year they're not great because if they were, and this could potentially derail them. I don't know if a manager can do that, but at, at some point you got to have consistency for your players, and um, if that means Tito just has to to be told like it's time to take care of your own health. You're killing yourself trying to do this, even though you're not. Um, it, Especially this year, I'm sure, like they saw the writing on the wall that it's not worth putting your health at this much risk for a team that's probably going to finish right around 500 or below. So, um, yeah, I guess just thoughts on Tito be gone for this year at the very least, potentially next year. They made it sound like his goal is to come back next year, which I don't think they would say anything else unless he was 100% retiring. Um, so I think it's fair to leave that open, but he might be back next year, but gone for the rest of the year with Tomorrow Hale stepping in. So I was watching. I was watching a game a couple days ago, and they were talking about, for some reason, they were talking about, the, oh, it was when they were playing the uh, um, the Cardinals. I remember uh, when Corey Kluber had, like, that 20-strikeout game against him or whatever the, whatever it was? He had a huge strikeout game. I can't remember how many it was off the top of my head. I think it was 20, yeah. Was it 20? Okay. 
And like they cut to Terry Francona at one point because they were doing like a flashback video. And he looks awful now. I have to say, he just like just like, he does not look very healthy. So um, it's it's hard to say that for a guy who's only what sixty two, but yeah, he just he's just kind of like you said, kind of looked like a dog crap for the last two years. Um, just doesn't look, look doesn't look very comfortable with the dugout, and just kind of like you said, his legs all messed up. He's getting, he's getting a hip replaced now. Yeah, I think he's had it out now, and he said that he feels great after having it out, and he can move better. But I mean, still, a hip replacement is not a not a minor thing, even if you no, right no. After. I mean, it it is. I mean, my mom had her hip replaced. It's wild how quickly like she's up. She's up and moving around like two or three days later. So it is wild how much quick how you can get up and get moving. But then you don't want to do too much because you just had a, an entire bone replaced. So that's you know hard. But I I don't know. Like you said, I, I've enjoyed him as a manager. I I think. I liked when they signed him because it brought a sense of legitimacy to the team. I think back in what was that, 2013? Uh, and that was like the post wedge years after, um, after, and they had uh, Manny Acta for a while. And it just, it's just ugly. That it kind of felt like the there. team was twisting in the wind for a while there. And it, it felt like he kind of brought a sense of legitimacy. And at the end of the day, it's, you know, Terry Francona is a household name, I think, in, at least in baseball circles. So it's been nice. And that's a hard thing to replace, I guess. Um, I can only assume that in the end they move on from it's going to be like a, I don't know, like a Tori Lavulo type or something like that, you know? Like you're not going to get another Hall of Fame manager to come to Cleveland. This is kind of a once-in-a-lifetime thing. And whether or not that matters is is up for debate. Like, yeah, I mean, at this point, I don't think man- you want that, do you? That's not what teams do as much anymore. You get these these young guys who are – I mean, I don't think I want another Tito. Like you said, I think it was good at the time, and it was good for – But do I? I, I mean, I, I agree with you at the same time. Like, but do I really agree with you? I mean, it's – I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I it's I don't know. It's, 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 a, it's a hard thing to wonder um, because, like I said, he's been – it's just a fixture with the team for, I mean, what is it, 12, like nine years now? Something like oh, that? yeah. Yeah. Uh, if I, at the beginning, it seemed like I associated him with the Red Sox, but now it's, no, it's yeah, pure 100%. Cleveland. I mean, I'm trying to think. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. Like, being, being a Red Sox manager, you're part of the Red Sox, but he's, he's, he's a bigger personality than that now. So Yeah, and I mean, he's he, he finished just short of the, the record for Cleveland wins, which, which I hope that is not something that is on his mind for potentially coming back. Because I saw, I think, Zach Mizell tweeted out that um, – he technically doesn't get the wins unless he comes back. Because if he doesn't coach again, then he retired, so he doesn't get them. If he comes back next year, he gets credit for any wins they had this year. They could do something like if it really mattered to him, they could, I don't, I guess, reinstate him at, for the last game, but not have him do anything, and then he gets the wins and then retires. I, I would assume he wouldn't want to do that, but I would almost prefer that not happen if they don't have a winning record, because then he wouldn't, he wouldn't have had all winning records. Um, as or all non actually yeah he has all winning records right yeah, now as, as a Cleveland manager. Yeah, oh, I, I right think now, the more wins might help him out more than than that. But well, I just as think as it's neat. Like, that's all. Yeah. I just think that's. I, neat, think, yeah. I think that's a neat uh, little tweak of of the of the of the record books there more than anything else. Um, that would be extremely unfortunate for his last year to to give him a losing record, even if he doesn't come back and that they could tag him with that. That's that sucks for him. But you know, it's it, it's it, it would stink if he had to retire like that. It's very abrupt and sudden. Um, but again, like like you said, like uh, baseball as a whole is moving away from this kind of flavor of manager, I suppose, and into guys that are just veritable mouthpieces for the front office. Whether or not we'd like that or not, I don't know. Uh, would we complain more? Probably. We always complain. That's what we do. We we, oh, yeah. we we write for a web- website. Half of our product is. It, we do two things. We complain and then we fawn over players we do like. So, <laughs> and then when they're not good, we just kind of ignore them and forget them. Yeah, and, yeah. And so having an actual, having an actual personality as a manager has been very nice, as opposed to oh yeah, 
forgetting their name out of the top of my head. Tori Lavulo. I'm not even sure if he's still managing. <laughs> you don't have very manager polls, do you? <laughs> <laughs> I just find him to be the most. In- I don't know. I'm not even sure which team he manages. I'm like, is that the? I'm like, I have to think about it. I'm pretty sure it's in the West. it's in the NL West, but I could be wrong. Uh, probably somewhere over there. The point the being, like, maybe I don't know. That sounds right. Okay, yeah, that's that's the most anonymous team out there. I mean, it Kevin is Cash is kind of right. like the modern thing. I think not a huge personality enough that I mean, like Terry Francona ribbed him all the time, and it, he was fine with it. But he's not like a a bigger than in life kind of thing like Terry is. And he also maybe sticks almost too much to analytics if if it's a possible thing that he like the polling Blake Snell thing. But again, maybe that that would have worked out. Joe Girardi, maybe. Um, God, who no. is the Red Sox manager? Oh, it's Alex Cora. That's right. That's okay. Alex Cora. Yeah. Who's the Yankees Yankees manager now? Is it really Aaron Boone? What the hell? What is going on in this baseball world? (laughs) (laughs) Who are these people? Yeah, I wouldn't want somebody like Joe Girardi. That's not. That's that's the other thing too. I don't know how many other like Tito's there are that are like that that I would even come close to wanting. Yeah, no, it's it's very much like a a dying a dying breed, I suppose, right? Because like you think about the the managers of teams who have won. I would say what's his name? Dave Roberts is is in that. I guess the, the cut of that jib, I suppose, but the, on the on the flip side of that would be uh, the guy who's the manager of the Tigers now, who used to manage AJ Hinch. I, that guy was very much just like a, a, a piece of the you know a, a piece in the, in the puzzle of the of the Death Star that was the Astros. So <laughs> I know we're supposed to hate the Astros and AJ Hinch, but I would have loved him as an Indians manager. I mean, we would have got over hating him eventually, and he would have been a really good manager. <laughs> I guess. Would he have been? Lot, Who's to say? Don't bang on the trash cans. We're going to keep on doing it. All right. <laughs> whatever. Oh, I are going to do pretty well with him because I, I think he's a good manager. But like somebody like, um, like you said, Roberts, if he. How did I forget his name? First name. Dave Roberts. We're doing really good. Dave Roberts. Like we're if the Dodgers decided here. that they needed to, like, change something there, like, he's maybe one I, I would not hate at all to come over. Um, I mean, other than him, it's just. I forgot that Tony La Russa was the manager of the White Sox. Oh, I didn't just forget now. that one. I think you probably missed that game because you're out of town. But man, he shuffled on out of that dugout, and he was a disaster. He did no. not give the White Sox legitimacy. Like no, Terry he, he, he made jokes. It's kind of like Mike Matheny, Matheny being hired, Matheny rather being hired by the, by the, the Royals. Like yeah. what? <laughs> what? What was what was the general response to that one? Yeah, I, I think when they if if this is it for Tito, it's going to be somebody you probably barely ever heard of, and it was just like. Um, a bench goes first base goes somewhere else and I don't think they're going to do Sandy at this point um, he, he didn't get like skipped over or anything it's just because DeMarle Hale's the bench coach and he's next in line but I think last year was enough of of a trial run for Sandy Alomar Jr. that they know they're not going to bring him back for that yeah but how I mean, can you not win a World Series during a pandemic year with a team that's falling apart <laughs> I mean he made some what really hell, stupid everyone? decisions that was yeah, he that also was did make some bad decisions it's very true <laughs> Anyway, no, I, I I hope it doesn't retire because I like Terry Francona being around. But you know, at the same time, it's because we're all we're baseball fans, so we're just inherently sentimental for some dumb reason or other. And he's very much been a fixture, not not so much of just a, a Cleveland baseball, but of baseball. I mean, you know, I mean, obviously we we think of him as a manager now, but he is the guy who broke who broke that that dumb curse, and then won another one. He got to, and he got to manage Manny, Manny Ramirez. It was pretty cool, and he managed uh, Michael Jordan when he was playing baseball, which is kind of cool. Um, but it's just it would suck if we had to leave just so suddenly. Um, I I know I said he looks like he looks bad, but it's also fun to see him smiling and laughing and clapping this big weird open palm clap. <laughs> I, I clap like that exactly now. What you say? I, I, I clap you. like that now. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I'm so it's happy a, about stuff. <laughs> it's a very clap on Super Smash Brothers after it's the the winning. What do you call it? The post game screen on Super Smash Brothers. Yeah. So everybody comes like Wario how he grabs, but yep. Um, 
Basically, yeah. he is Wario. Basically, no, wait. I mean, Bradley, Bradley Zimmer is Wario. I guess that makes no, him Bradley Wa- Zimmer is Waluigi. I'm sorry, he was Luigi. Perfect then. He is he is Wario. <laughs> yes. Uh, I guess sort of on that note, I mean, what is, whether Tito's here or not, it's like, what are you, I couldn't think of a good way to phrase this going in, but I, I know you got the gist of it. It's just, what are you, why are you watching this team? And what the hell's like, wrong with you? That doesn't yeah. have to be like sure. an aggressive negative thing, but like, just to give people a reason, are you, are you watching because you, you'd feel like there's, there's going to be a run at the playoffs. You're watching for excitement, exciting October baseball, or are you just watching to see young players play or just seeing, I mean, watching the train wreck in action. Maybe, I mean, there's lots of reasons you could be watching a baseball team. Um, what is the one for this specific team like right now? Well, you know, and I, cause I was, um, for some reason I was on the cover in the corner Facebook page today. Uh, that was a very bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the reason I bring that up is just cause like, and this is not unique to Cleveland or any team, but, um, it's just, you know, as soon as a team isn't like, I mean, I don't know how, why we could ever feel this way being a Cleveland baseball fan. The season is over. Shut it down. Like, like it's it, it's August 1st, for God's sake. Is, is, I was reading posts like that. I'm like, what are you going to do the rest of the summer? I mean, obviously, go outside and mow the lawn, I guess. But answer your question straightforward. I just like watching baseball, and I like the team that I like. And there's lots of players here who are fun to watch. Like, I love sitting down for a nice friend, Mio Reyes at bat. Um, he might hit a dinger. Uh, same thing with Jose Ramirez. I mean, seeing... What you said earlier, seeing, and I've gotten really good at this as a team has been bad in my time writing about them. Like that whole stretch from like 2010 to 13, basically, I, that's some dog crap baseball. And I, I wrote about, I wrote many articles about them. Just fine, but it's fun to find the little things, right? Just seeing uh, guys turn into something, whether it's, um, I don't know, Yu Chang actually figures something out, or Harold Ramirez actually being good, or, uh, you know, seeing Josh Taylor in the dugout being happy still, or Bobby Bradley hitting the ball a quarter mile and swinging and missing a lot, or any of the pitchers, right? I love watching pitchers evolve. You mentioned, uh, what's his name, Eli Morgan a few minutes ago. Him, Quantrill's been running out a few good starts there. I mean, Plezak's starting, I don't know, I don't know, Plezak's a strange one to me still. I I can't wrap my head around him. I I know he had a great year last year, but that may have been smoke and mirrors. But anyways, yeah, you know, I, I think that's part of it is just I like watching baseball and I'll watch baseball that isn't Cleveland. The last two weekends, I've gone to an Orioles Orioles minor league game and a, and a Mets game. So I'm not just going to watch Cleveland, but this is the team I've chosen to like. And whatever their name may be next year, I'm going to continue to watch them. And, I, and, I, and you know, I mean, what the hell? I, I don't just watch for the, for the wins and losses. It certainly helps. But, you know, I don't know. But why? Why are you watching beyond just madness? I, mean, I think mine's basically the hybrid of yours. Like we've said for years that, uh, at some point, I just want to keep stop plugging in random veterans to to be a 500 team. You know, if they have to lose a little more, figure out what you have in some of the young guys who you, we got to watch come up through the minors um, and work down the majors. I mean, they have some fun little players like, like Harold Miros. Is I mean, he's a veteran, but he's not super old. He's like 27. Almost he's new to us. So. Yeah, exactly. This he's the t- I've, I wrote he's about him. Us, week, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wrote about him a couple weeks ago. Like this is very much the kind of lottery ticket you hit that like helps, right? That he's good. Not as a star would be, but like once he pieces it together and and you show him shows him to be a a one ten to a one fifteen OPS plus kind of a guy, right? Guy who helps, but doesn't you know he'll win you a game or two, but you know. Yeah, and uh, this might be like kind of a, a galaxy brain idea here, but I think the the idea if if Cleveland is not super close by the end of the year, I think that's probably better for them PR wise. I don't know if that's the way to put it. Going into a rebrand as the Guardians, like you're not. They didn't have a big collapse in the last week of the season. Like if if people are kind of if the team's petering off now and they're just kind of like playing along, get to see some fun games once in a while. You get to see some fun minor things, see some pitchers develop. Um, 
I think that's a calmer way to enter the off season when you're going to, but it sounds like they're immediately going to be the guardians after the season. So like, if you're not, as long as people aren't mad right at the end, like if you were one game missing the playoffs, or even losing a playoff series and getting swept by the Astros or something. Like, I think, I think just being a generally fun, but maybe not like maybe barely 500 and like still watchable, still fun. And you got like Owen Miller maybe gets hot at some point and Bobby Bradley keeps hitting dingers. You got these little things to watch um, going into your new team. That's the thing I'm watching for is just these little players. Um, and I'm excited to, to, to be the guardians next year and just see what they do. Um, redoing it this year and, and the rebound right after the season, I'm excited to watch for. So um, yeah, I mean, it's basically the same answer as yours is watching these young players develop. The pitchers are all, um, they're all slowly growing, which is really fun to see and happen in real time. Um, I, I don't think we would have gotten as long of a leash as we have for like JC Mejia and Eli Morgan um, and Cal Quantrill. Maybe they were sort of leaning toward him as starter anyway, but it's fun to watch them develop. Um, maybe Shane Bieber comes back and that'll be a fun last couple of weeks of the season. Yeah. Um, although if he, yeah, if he even like stubs his toe, I'm not going to put it back in there. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not <laughs> worth it, but put him um, in a cryogenic freeze. Yeah. Yeah, but that'll be a fun like last couple just to see him and Aaron Savali come back in the last couple weeks and round out the season with a couple extra wins in there. That'll be fun. Uh, yeah, just just the young players is what I'm watching. That's that's why I watch most of the time. Like one of the, my favorite things is always prospects coming up, whether it's for Cleveland or somebody else. Like these guys that um, you got to watch draft and then watch them through the minors and they come up and they debut. That's always one of my favorite things about baseball in general. And and we get to watch a bunch of them this year. Not exactly the way we probably wanted or the way Cleveland wanted, but we're gonna get a lot of rookies. I mean, at some point, Nolan Jones should come up, for the love of God. Put him somewhere, anywhere. Um, <laughs> Ernie Clement has been fun, um, partially because he he grew up around me, and I think that's kind of cool. It's, <laughs> But um, he's fun in his own weird little way. He's not great. Watching Oscar Mercado maybe get better will be another fun thing. But yeah, it's just a lot of little things, and then watching young players get better, I think, is, is fun. I, I hope this is the last year of trying to find these little things, and next year they're back to being really good, because <laughs> I think that's more fun than um, this in general. But... But again, like the trade deadline thing, I can't be mad at them, what they're doing right now. I'm still mad at the offseason that they had, and they didn't um, set themselves up better. But as far as, as dealing with the way they are now, I, it's just fine to accept it and and watch the little things that we can. Well, you know, and I go just looking at even this past weekend, right? They, I mean, they, they went toe-to-toe with the White Sox. White Sox yeah, that was a fun. better team, you know? I mean, they, they, they the final, the net score of that series was uh, Cleveland minus two, like about six to four. Loss twelve to 11, 11 win and then a two to one loss. So even beyond that, like it's not that they're, they're bad necessarily. Yeah, and I mean uh, they still could make the playoffs. That's the other thing. It's not like they're a million games out. It's not no, like, and and even beyond that, like there's I'm just doing the count. There's like sixteen teams with worse records than them. I, like they're not a bad team. They're just flawed, and this is just the way. And I I think it's almost I don't know. Um, Shows how I don't want to say we're spoiled because the team still is tough to watch sometimes. <laughs> but you know, it's it's like it's a well-run franchise. It allows us to at least not have to go through I don't know a season where you're thirty-three and seventy-three at one point. Just <laughs> I mean, the Tigers for the last numbers. decade or half decade. Yeah, or like yeah. the Tigers have been bad since twenty fifteen or something like that. Right? They were they were good, and then they were suddenly very very bad. Yeah, because I think twenty sixteen was the last year they probably should have rebuilt, and they didn't. Twenty fourteen, they had a winning record. They won seventy four in twenty fifteen. They won eighty six in twenty sixteen. Then it's been a, t- a toilet party ever since. So, yeah, I, they're just not going there and like just spinning their wheels forever in misery. It sucks to be mediocre, but like at the end of the day, this you know baseball is very much a game based both on the luck, but also on on haves versus have nots. Look at the Dodgers they, or, or the 
I'm actually looking at first place teams, and three of them are the Rays, the Mets, and the. <laughs> oh god, these teams are not halves. Oh damn! <laughs> uh, I mean, the Rays are they're, they're big yeah. halves. Um, the Milwaukee Brewers, right? These are all just kind of small and medium sized teams. Mets have, do have an, an owner that has sixteen billion dollars now, so you know, it doesn't want to be his draft pick. That's fine. This is yeah, yeah, that's fine. But that, 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 so that changes some things, I suppose. But um, no, you know, I mean, it's just that they've been they've been a very lucky team since twenty. I'll be honest, since 2014 when they started popping out MVP candidates and Cy Young winners. Uh, so they just got to take a step back. And I think even beyond that, this year's been a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed watching it so far, the games I have watched. And even when they lose, you know, it sucks. But they don't play miserable baseball, and I think that's part of it. There was a miserable run there for a while, and they didn't have a single good hitter, but that sucked. Uh, so they've moved, they've moved on from that. And having guys like Reyes and, and uh, Ramirez in the really help and just being able to see the other young guys kind of grow around them i think that makes me feel positive for the, for the future and like you said them being kind of pseudo anonymous in the year uh, prior to a run name change is probably positive because now they're going to start a clean slate next year when 97 games losing the alcs to the athletics and then win a world series next year uh, yeah, I think the best thing they can do is have low expectations going into next year and way overperform it, which I think they will. Like, no matter what, um, they're young, they're going to get better, like, virtually no matter what, unless something terrible happens again next year. But um, if they stay to their word and have a bigger payroll next year and they have these young guys come up and do it, I think it'll be a lot better than they were this year and a lot better than, than people probably think, which is, I mean, that's exactly what 2016 one is. That was, and that was one of probably my favorite seasons ever as an adult. That was a hoot, man. Yeah, that was a total blast of a season, and like I, it's it's not to say they're too far from that now, right? Like you look at what the team is, like again, yeah, I mean, this is a very saying, 2015 Indians kind of team, very much, you know. And they, the, the, the 2015 team only won 81 games, didn't they? Something like that. Yeah, it was. It was. I yeah, mean, they was, couldn't yeah, have had a losing that, record, so. Yeah, that was that was that was their default. <laughs> their their no no non winning season by default uh, because they didn't play the final game. So I like that one a lot. I mean, no, like, like you said, like there's, there's a lot of guys who are just kind of getting getting their feet wet and figuring things out when the line and when the rotation comes back together next year. Like at least two of the young guys I think that we've seen this year are going to be taking a step forward and be something at least resembling a, a mid a mid rotation starter. So I, I feel pretty good about that. Yeah, and I mean, I'll have a have a new team, new everything, new logo. It'll be fun. Um, I, I'm really new hats, new hats, new hats, I'm sweet so happy. new hats. Whenever the hell are we getting those new hats? Uh. Never. It's, it's all a trick. <laughs> I'm I'm looking forward to that the rebrand so much. Just any rebrand is fun, and I've never had. I'm trying to think, how, no, I've never like rooted for a team that's been rebranded, and, and one that I've actually liked the rebrand, which is a bonus. Like the Guardians is cool. I think, I think, yeah. Have I? The Raiders have cool. literally never changed anything I mean, about anything they do. Well, I mean, <laughs> the name. I mean, they they went to Las Vegas. I'm sure that was a big yeah, but deal they, we you. also went to Los Angeles and then came back. So it's like as long as they keep Raiders, it's all the same. It doesn't matter where you play. I mean, the Miami, Miami, the Miami, Miami, uh, Miami I mean, Heat. They took away that awesome logo, and now they just have a, a dark red ball. You what? No, they don't. They have the cool flaming ball still. Their their logo has never changed. No, they used to have one that was like orange and red, didn't they? It, it, it evolves over time. It's, the it's, orange it's, and red one is is way better. I mean, they've had several different ones. I mean, for instance, what, during their when, when they're wearing their vice jerseys, you know, they're 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 like purple and teal and shit. So, I mean, at this point, the vice thing for Miami is so used. I don't even know if it's no. I know they're, they're going to stop doing it. I think <laughs> because they they really overplayed their hand on that. It's one. basically the guitar version of now of what Cleveland does with their guitars. But yep, <laughs> and they don't even note, lean oh, in. Like they don't make the, the no, it's just their, the colors. Yeah, they make their coach wear like a. <laughs> 
uh, what do you call it? A, blue, yeah. a, a suit with a t-shirt underneath <laughs> and the sleeves rolled up and no socks. Like, just do that. Come on, Spo, wear that. What are you doing here? <laughs> when they do that, they can change their uniforms again. I agree. Uh, on that note, Merritt, that'll do it for us this week. If you haven't already, subscribe to us on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave us a review. Let us know what you think of the show. Find us on Twitter at Cover the Corner. Find me on Twitter at Matt RLY. Find Merritt at Merrill Lunch, like Merrill Lynch with lunch. Um, of course, CoverTheCorner.com, Cover the Corner on Facebook. I wouldn't suggest going to the comments ever, but you can go there, and uh, it's going to be great. Uh, Merritt, talk to you next week. I'll be there. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it then in that moment. You don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of like afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts.